Paid for by the Tony Colladio Show. The future is most definitely now. Welcome to 8Base Radio, an interactive show featuring technology trends, top business leaders, and upcoming events in the business world. 8Base Radio is hosted by 8Base founder and CEO Albert Santalo, a serial entrepreneur and angel investor with a passion for disrupting traditional business models. Now, here is Albert and your 8Base Radio team on 880 AM. The biz. So, good afternoon, South Florida and the technology community at large. This is Albert Santolo. Super excited to be here today. We have a great show that we're gonna. We're, we have some great guests. Um, you know, it's been, this is our third installment of 8Base Radio. Last week, we had Salo Shredny, a tremendous executive entrepreneur and venture capitalist, talking about all the different aspects of his world and how it impacts uh, his current company, his portfolio companies, and, and the technology community at large here in South Florida. So today, we're taking a different tack. Um, we have a very special guest with a very unique perspective on technology uh, in the world today. And we have what I would call a sort of co-host slash guest. And I'll start with him. So we have Matt Cohen. Matt has been a member of the 8Base team for the better part of 2018. Uh, he served in a couple of different capacities, but primarily he's here today to talk about blockchain. And our, our guest of honor here today is... is uh, Sam Abbasi, who is a very, very interesting young leader in the tech community in South Florida, uh, an expert on blockchain. And we're going to spend the better part of the conversation today talking about you know, what is blockchain, how, how is it making itself into our everyday lives, and what are the implications of it, and what, what's the type of work that, that all of us are doing in this area. So welcome to you both. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Albert. Excited to be on. Great. So Sam, why don't we start with you? So you know you're one of the what I would call really really interesting young leaders in South Florida. Um, I've gotten to know you over the last year, and uh, we've done a little bit of work together on panels and different things uh, in, in different conferences. But you know I'd love to hear more, and I'm sure the audience would love to hear more about your background and what you're doing today and and how you got here. Uh, yeah, well, again, thanks for thanks for having me. It's uh, it's an honor to be here in the studio. It's cool. Um, so my name is Sam Abbasi. I'm president of Bushido Labs. So we're a cryptocurrency blockchain uh, development company. Uh, we're an industry service provider. Um, so that's kind of our play in this space. Oh, uh, so that's so that's kind of our play. Um, my background is, uh, is a little bit eclectic. Um, I have a background in economics, uh, computer science, um, and also neuroscience. Um, so those do kind of play into the blockchain space in a way. It's you know as as you know kind of. Um, blockchain and, and Bitcoin and those things are a combination of economics, uh, computer science, and game theory for the most part. Uh, yeah, so- that makes it makes it really interesting. So your undergrad is in economics, mm-hmm. correct? Yeah, and then you studied computer science, I believe, um, in, in, in with Wincote Academy. Well, right? at University of Miami, at University of Miami. Yeah, okay. I spent a few years there, um, and then I did full stack development at Wincote. Uh, Wincode was great because it kind of showed me how to work in teams. I understood the underlying computer science, but not how to really make a product with anyone else. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah. Wincode's doing some amazing work. Yeah, we we love having them here. 
And uh, we're always looking to hire people from WinCode. They're producing great talent and helping cultivate, you know, so real-world computer science applications. Yeah, yeah. Joe, and you are titans in the education sector here. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. So how does, if we were to to talk about blockchain, economics, and technology, how, how are those three words related? Um, so this is my favorite part, and, and, and I recently did this at FSU. They had a collegiate blockchain conference, and my job was to kind of intro it um, and explain what blockchain is. So I, I did that really first from 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 Bitcoin, and it's 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 kind of a risk doing that because there's a taboo associated with it. So you know I never try and spend too much time on it, um, but really it's the idea that um, we're basically trying to overhaul the financial infrastructure um, that's completely defined by economics through the underlying foundation of CompSci. Um, so it's basically kind of the idea that money is really or shouldn't be a product of the state, but rather product of the market. Um, so that's a revolutionary kind of topic. Um, but the thing that makes that up, um, you know, is consensus, is the creation and validation of transactions, and then the actual distributed database, which is kind of the blockchain side. Um, so that's kind of where the economics comes from. In a way. Yeah, so blockchain, you know, and I'll ask you some questions that I may already may know the answer to. Sure. But for the sake of the people listening, we want to try to get, you know, we want to try to impart as good an understanding of blockchain as possible. Because it is a confusing topic, mm-hmm. wouldn't you say? Yeah, definitely. There's, there's, a, there's a massive learning curve. Uh, it took me a while. I mean, Matt, I'm sure you can talk, talk to this as well. It, it, it usually takes people a long time to, to understand, even very well-educated people in the respective disciplines. Yeah. So, so let, I'll start with a, maybe a simple question. So you, you mentioned that blockchain is a ledger, mm-hmm. distributed ledger, right? So the, the original ledgers in the world were literally books where you would write down transactions. That evolved to be sort of databases, right? It evolved. Right. So would you say that blockchain is a database? Um, in, a, in its most basic form, uh, you can kind of call it that. Um, it's kind of like going from double, well, it is going from double entry accounting to triple entry accounting. And that's probably the best and most palpable way to explain it because before you, you would have a ledger, someone else would have a ledger, and you just kind of uh, consolidate the two over time. In this case, you have a you have a, a trustless third party or a trustless uh, resource um, that is immutable and everyone agrees is correct um, as your kind of third party bookkeeping resource. Yeah, yeah. So in other words, there there isn't this middleman exactly. that's used to in, in impart trust into the system. Right. Um, Matt, do you want to do you want to add to that? Yeah, you guys both said a, a really important key word here, which is trust and trustlessness. And uh, and so I guess what I would prompt is I, I find that blockchain is is very difficult to define. It's hard to put a real succinct and precise definition on it. But one thing that is interesting to folks I, I find, or, or at least illuminating about the concept, is what the key features of it are. And you both mentioned trustlessness. And you expanded upon that. So I would be interested to hear from Sam uh, what else you think is, is a critical component that makes blockchain special or makes a blockchain a blockchain. So why should somebody care about this over and above the fact that they have a digital ledger of transactions? Yeah, I, I, I focus a lot on consensus, actually. And when you know, we have clients that we consult with on a business application of, of blockchain, I typically try and understand why they want it and, and kind of what the whole point of having a blockchain in their business or what that means for them. Um, so really, it's all about validators. Um, so when you look at Bitcoin, for instance, which is you know on a spectrum, probably the most decentralized application of it, um, you have a consensus that is purely done through market forces without any sort of um, other primary factor that can really sway one person one way or the other. Uh, if you want to look at like a logistics application of blockchain, um, then you have kind of uh, trusted parties in a way uh, that puts you f- 
a little bit closer on the centralized aspect of the spectrum with the trade-off being centralization, but with the advantage being uh, increased uh, speed of transactions, for instance. Um, so when we talk about trustlessness, really it's about consensus on who's in your network and who's using it for what purpose. Yeah, yeah. And you mentioned validators, right? Mm-hmm. So that's not a word that you often hear in the sort of rhetoric of blockchain. Um, how would you, when, when I say miner, you mm-hmm. say validator, how would you define that? Well, so, and this is one of the, uh, it, it will lead to a misconception in Bitcoin. You mainly have miners and merchants. And um, in the Bitcoin network, it's primarily two people, which are the miners and the nodes, which are the validators, or you know, we can say merchants in this case. Miners add transactions to the network, right? You're paying for a service. You're paying a miner uh, through transaction fees to confirm your transactions. So your transaction goes into a pool. They go in and they typically pick up the transactions with a higher transaction fee because they're purely profit-driven. Um, once that's added, every single other node or server or computer on the network um, has the entire ledger on their on their uh, client, and they simply um, they validate every transaction thereafter, um, and they kind of maintain Bitcoin's consensus uh, from that point moving forward. Um, so that's kind of the dynamic at, yeah. at play. There's another way to say it that miners are really uh, validators. They're really ledger keepers at the end of the day that they are rewarded by successfully mining Bitcoin. They're rewarded by uh, basically confirming the transactions and proving they did so um, and proving that, they, that, it was, that it was expensive for them to do so. Uh, the whole value proposition of Bitcoin is that it's hard to make new Bitcoins. And once all the Bitcoins are made, it's going to be hard to actually confirm those Bitcoins. Um, because as we know, we're, we're, we're human beings and anything great, we're going to try and make more of it. So scarcity is in the kind of integral part of this. And in order for something to be scarce, it needs to be hard to make or hard to produce or, or hard to whatever. Yeah. So I think it's that's really important. And for our listeners, it probably makes sense to dive into how we can rely on that assurance of scarcity, right? So we mentioned a couple different stakeholders in this network. You've got these merchants who maybe send or receive Bitcoin. You've got miners who we talked about order transactions and, and demonstrate through work that a transaction is valid. And then you've got nodes, which sort of validate the ledger, enforce consensus rules, and so on. Not to get too complicated, because miners are also nodes, mm-hmm. right? Right. But how is it that any entrant in the Bitcoin ecosystem can be sure that at the end of the day, there will only be 21 million Bitcoin and we won't go do as we've done with fiat currencies and go print money until we're bored? So the beauty of this is, is that, oh, this goes into open source technology. And we were talking about Red Hat as we, as we came in. Um, this is more of an open source world. Uh, so when you run the Bitcoin client, you're literally just running uh, the open source protocol, the Bitcoin that, that, that defines Bitcoin. Um, and everyone can vet that. Everyone can read that. Everyone can verify that what they're running um, is true. And uh, they can audit it and, and actually be, be, be sure that, that it is what, what it's intended to actually do. And everyone's running effectively for simplicity. I can pretty much say that everyone's running the same client. I know it's not actually the case, but yeah. let's keep it simple. So it's, it's the fact that the, the software itself is defining this scarcity, right? And we, right. Can, we can be sure that everyone is running the same software because the network also enforces this, correct? So you ha- if you have a situation where, for example, I no longer was pleased with the 21 million Bitcoin limit and mm-hmm. I upped it on my software, because it is open source and anyone, anyone can make modifications to right. it. And so if my own software said, okay, now we have 22 million Bitcoin, w- that that would not fit within the the understanding of consensus and how we all collaborate on one big network without a central authority. So can you explain a little bit how we enforce the the overall 
uh, overall consensus and make sure that any of these outliers can't do strange things with their with their software. Yeah. So this kind of well, this goes into backwards compatibility. So you know you can you can make any changes to uh, to any to any source code, especially if it's open source, and you can run that yourself. Um, but if it's not backwards compatible with everyone else. Um, through RPC ports or, or however they're connecting to the network, then you're running your own separate, you know, in this case, chain. You're, you're running your own separate network, and you're, not, you're no longer part of the Bitcoin network. And we've seen that through several forks, Bitcoin Cash, Litecoin, several other instances, either, either contentious or not. Um, you can run different versions of it, but if it is backwards compatible and if they are agreed upon upgrades um, that everyone can, can kind of go back to and, and, and use, um, yeah, I think that answers your question. So, so just to sum it up for the uninitiated, the sure. way the way we enforce consensus in the network is that for generally speaking, for big changes like monetary policy changes or or certain significant ways in which the network operates, anyone who runs a node and and therefore a miner, they must also run nodes, must agree on that change. And if there's one outlier who doesn't like it or changes it themselves, their change would not necessarily propagate to everybody else. That's that's the key. I think the key here is that. We're all part of a of an ongoing concern, and we're all agreeing on what the rules of the road are, yeah. and that's what makes Absolutely. it so interesting. Yeah, and you and you and you and you do so by and the the voting process. I think here is important too, because people hear about voting in Bitcoin, and I, and I think a lot of people assume it's just like clicking on a button and you vote. You're 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 running the new client. So if there's a change in Bitcoin that makes the block size bigger, for, for instance, which is you know a huge topic, um, you opting to run the new version is your vote on now I want to be a part of this network. I want to run this change in sure. source code. Sure. So we so if, if we were to sum it up, we're talking about a distributed ledger technology uh, that's open sourced. So literally anyone can pick it up, and if they have the right kind of computing infrastructure, they can start running it. They can be a participant in the Bitcoin blockchain mm-hmm. network, and they, as part of that, they're sort of subscribing to a protocol, a technical protocol, but also an economic policy that goes along with it. Yeah. So if we were to go back to the initial uh, question, right, which is how do these three concepts come together, that's probably the best way to think about it, right? It's the technology and it's the economic policy that's being implemented through this blockchain network. Yeah, and, and one thing I want to throw in there too is kind of the political aspect of it as well. It really is sociopolitical and, 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 and uh, technical in nature, but um, if you look at Bitcoin mining, Bitcoin mining for the most part is centralized in China, and that's a huge topic of concern and a huge criticism. It's evolved to that. It's evolved to that, um, but at the same time, it's, it's, it's more of kind of a feature of the system, right? So the mining is supposed to be expensive, meaning that you're literally consuming energy to do that, energy in whatever form. Uh, mining, for whatever reason at this point, is cheaper and more convenient to conduct sure. in China, but that changes. Um, so really, it's a free market is, 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 is kind of the whole yeah. point. Yeah, no, Absolutely. Well, good. Well, you know, like like we said earlier, we could spend hours trying to define blockchain. And what we just talked about, we did a double click here on Bitcoin and the implementation it had on blockchain. Bitcoin is the classic example of, let's call it success, right? We're about to celebrate the 10th anniversary of the Satoshi Nakamoto white paper, right? Meaning that Bitcoin's been part of the world for the, for a decade, mm-hmm. How many times has Bitcoin been hacked in that time? Uh, Bitcoin itself has never been hacked. Um, it's really the exchanges that are holding Bitcoin that have been hacked. Yeah. Um, so, so just to stop yeah. you right there. So let's think about that for a moment. In nine plus years of implementation of Bitcoin, it has never been hacked at the protocol level. Mm. How many systems in the world can say that? Right. So the important thing to highlight there is that as controversial as Bitcoin is, 
uh, and blockchain is, it's probably the most secure technology that's ever been introduced on the face of the earth. Right. And it, it is that because of the fact that there isn't a centralized body that's controlling it. It's a decentralization probably. Obviously with all of the encryption and the cryptography, all the things that surround it, but the decentralization is what's helped keep it, keep it secure. Yeah, and I and I do want to touch on one kind of uh, principle that I that I recently learned. Um, Andreas Antonopoulos, who was a writer of Mastering Bitcoin, um, he gave a talk recently, and he used this term called infrastructure inversion, which I thought was brilliant. Um, and what that basically means is that when it, whenever there's a new disrupting technology, it typically has to ride on the old technology it's going to replace, um, and then there's kind of a switch. So think, you know, cars and horses, cars sure. when they first came about, there was no infrastructure, there weren't paved roads, there weren't gas stations, yep. traffic lights. Um, but they're, it's backwards point. compatible in that uh, horses can ride on paved roads. Same thing with telecom and the internet. We tried to throw data on telecommunication lines, which wasn't really efficient at all, but putting telecom lines on the internet was trivial. I see the same thing happening with uh, DLT or distributed ledger technology or Bitcoin or blockchain with the international banking um, settlement layer. Um, I, I think, you know, replicating that on Bitcoin is trivial. And I think that'll happen in the next 15 years or so. Yeah. On Bitcoin or some Bitcoin blockchain or, or some type of, exactly. Yeah, right? Yeah. Exactly. Maybe not Bitcoin I'm not putting itself. all my chips in, in one, one bag. Yeah. yeah. How would you, Sam, how would you, you know, not everybody understands the difference between Bitcoin and blockchain. Can you quickly just define the difference? Yeah, I, I've been spending a lot of time trying to figure out if there actually is a difference. Um, and I do think there is. Um, I think certain business use cases, again, on that spectrum um, can use applications or, or parts of uh, Bitcoin's characteristics, which in this case would be mostly blockchain, for their business needs. Um, so I've spent a lot of time at IBM, and we're working with Oracle as well on an audit and compliance uh, solution. So you know, imagine you have a consortium of airlines, American, Delta, you know, Spirit, whoever, and they need to share data. Well, those companies that are part of your blockchain are kind of your trusted validators in a sense, right? I mean, it's more closed, it's permissioned, so it's not permissionless, um, and it's much more centralized. But passing data between them can be done a lot quicker. Um, but the trade-off is is that it's not as decentralized in nature. Um, so in terms of blockchain's applications, I kind of think that's where where enterprise can yeah. come in. But in, in terms of Bitcoin, right, isn't mm -hmm. Bitcoin just one implementation of blockchain? In other words, the blockchain is the underlying technology that powers Bitcoin. Right, right, and 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 we've seen different iterations of that. So Ethereum, basically, you know, is is a is a is a, is a fork, is what it's called, um, of 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 Bitcoin, and they're doing kind of crazy things on top of on top of their network. Yeah, um, yeah. For the most part, uh, Bitcoin is probably the best implementation of it now from a purely decentralized, anyone can access it sort of sure. um, ethos. Uh, but yeah, the the actual aspect of blockchain can now be morphed into whatever you kind of want it to be used for. Yeah, so you know that leads me into sort of the next the next set of questions I would have. So to recap, you know, Bitcoin works. It's something that's out there. People use it for exchange of value, and it runs on a blockchain, uh, the original blockchain, which is the Bitcoin blockchain. But since then, there have been very, many many flavors. Mm -hmm of blockchains that have been invented and are being invented. And these things are, I would say, not too far along in terms of maturity, right? A lot of them are still very nascent. Um, and they probably, you know, they won't, they won't all win. Uh, some, there'll be some shakeout, but some survivors. And they'll be used probably for different things. Um, so do you, do you guys want to, you know, maybe both of you can talk a little bit about the different flavors of blockchains that have evolved for different purposes and, you know, talk, talk a little bit about the why and the how. Sure. Yeah. So I guess from, from my perspective, 
the blockchain is really is really nothing more than the chain of blocks, but it's everything that surrounds it and that comprises it that makes it interesting, right? So a, a block is just a piece of data that holds transactions that Alice paid Bob something, and we append that onto the chain, and each block contains a little piece of information about the block that came before it so that we can be sure everything that happened before is valid and it is, is what it says it is. So that, that works. That's a really interesting application for something like Bitcoin where you're just sending this unit of account back and forth between different people. But philosophically, what the blockchain enables, right, when you start changing things. Like, so Bitcoin uses proof of work, which is really important for sound money because it's a, the, the laws of thermodynamics ensure the truth of the record, right? But you can change that. Just like you can change the size of the block or the, uh, the parameters in which people have to agree about consensus rules and what's valid and what's not. So I think that what's interesting about blockchain, the technology, is what it enables outside of money. And we're still f- learning about that. And some of the, some of the, c- the consequences of our, of our study into that, those additional applications have been to tweak the idea of blockchain. So we come up with things like tangles and DAGs and, and moving away from a, a UTXO system to more of an account system on, on Ethereum. So there's all these little things. But we'll find that some of the, of the features that give rise to immutability and uh, permission, the permissionless nature of the blockchain as it's iterated in Bitcoin – aren't necessarily so important for things like private change in a, in a consortium environment where maybe you don't need proof of work or you don't need a totally open permissionless thing. So I think these flavors kind of adapt with the use case to, to bring it back to your question, which is what do we need it for? Do we need uh, you know, nuclear power plant level security to figure out whether, what the provenance of my banana or other type of fruit is? And the answer is probably not. So we're finding we're, – we're, we're in a period of discovery now – Whereas we have a, a kind of a concept of this blockchain, which is enabling third parties to interact with one another without having to trust each other or a central intermediary. And we're finding that you can do lots of things like that, like order a supply chain, uh, handle monetary transactions back and forth, land title records, uh, identity, that sort of thing. But the notion of the blockchain as it's thought of in Bitcoin is not necessarily present in those use cases in, the, in, yeah. in, a, in, a very, in an identical manner. And it's, and it's also important to note what level of application is appropriate for what use case. Um, so, for, for, so, for instance, uh, Bitcoin's layer 2 technology called um, Lightning um, is basically supposed to be the Visa payment layer. So Bitcoin itself isn't really competing with PayPal. Uh, Bitcoin's base layer 1 is, compa- is, com- is competing against the International Bank of Settlements. Um, then we see examples of Ethereum, for instance, that effectively is a software development platform that's propped up with the same underlying infrastructure. So we're testing, and it's and again, as I mean, to your point, it's so nascent that we're not entirely sure what the best way may be to actually develop and, and continue to grow this technology. Um, but it, it is entirely dependent on the utility of it. Yeah. So again, we're talking about blockchains, blockchain protocols. We talked about Bitcoin. We talked about Ethereum. There are some others. Um, you guys know what TCP/IP is, right? Mm-hmm. TCP/IP yeah. is the the basically the native internet protocol, which was invented in 1969, and by 1993, there were only 26 websites in the world until the Mosaic browser came around. So, do you think it's going to take that long for blockchain to gestate? And in essence, what is that? 69. Uh, it's almost 25 years that it took for the internet to go from protocol to actual mainstream early mainstream use i don't i don't i don't think it'll take that long and um i mean i was i was little when the dot-com boom happened so this is all from you know well some of this precedes your birth yeah 
No, it, no, it does. Um, but no, what, what I, I I typically tell people that we're in like ninety three, ninety four of the dot com boom. Okay. Just given what we can do, and given what people think we can do. Um, you know, I mean, you saw the ICO craze of 2017, and people were promising some some really crazy things um, that, for the most part, can't really be done right now. Um, and it's kind of equivalent to saying, you know, let's make Netflix back in '94, where you sure. can see it, but the infrastructure isn't there yet. Yeah, 100. percent I did live that. Yeah. yeah. So, so you definitely know. <laughs> so, I think that's Absolutely. a really interesting point because we had reached prior to the advent of blockchain. If you're thinking about like the the internet and the state of tech, you know, pre blockchain, we had reached a point where Sort of, if you could imagine it, it could be done, right? Like we have, we have incredible advances in computing power. Storage is cheap. Memory is accessible. Anyone can, can pretty much, within reason, build what they want to build. And we're finding that with blockchain, it looks a lot like the early internet because block space comes at a premium. And transaction throughput right now is limited until we figure out scaling. So people are, are finding that it's not great for much in the same way the early internet was laughed at by people like, like Paul Krugman and others, right? I once read a quote, I don't know if it's true or not, that Alexander Graham Bell couldn't find someone to buy the patent for the telephone because, like, we got a, we got a telegraph. Why would we ever need it? Right. So I, I think that what we're witnessing, the reason people are so excited about it is because there is a new protocol to piggyback off your TCP IP analogy that enables us to do more, enables us to bring in additional stakeholders and to have more of a say in the way things are run but we're not quite at a point where we can really appreciate how the the average Joe on the street would go about interacting with it. Yeah, I think that's fair. So, you know, there's this theme of digital transformation, which we often talk about here on 8Base Radio. So I would, you know, just to throw this out there, I would say that blockchain is one of the pillars of digital disruption that companies all over the world are going to have to respond to in terms of digital transformation. Would you say that's correct? I would say without a doubt right now, we believe that to be true for, for no other reason than, than the philosophically what it gives you, which is sort of self-sovereignty. Like the idea of you look at Bitcoin, it, it could take banks out of the equation. It ultimately probably won't because there's existing infrastructure. But what it does is give a lot more sovereignty to the user who traditionally didn't have it. So I think we'll find with applications of blockchain that those are the opportunities it affords. Maybe it's your data on Facebook or something like that that you get to control instead of the social media yeah. network. But ultimately, it's going to take some time to get there. But when, it, when, when we're there, users will demand it. And so the business leaders of today who fail to address it will find themselves on the kind of lagging on their, their back foot unless they, yeah. they take a proactive approach. So, so maybe I want to double-click on the topic of what is, bit, what is the blockchain actually doing when we're interacting between each other. So let's say, for instance, that Sam and I were exchanging a Bitcoin. We can do that between each other with no third party in the middle, right? gets recorded on the public blockchain, the Bitcoin blockchain, and it's real. It happened. Mm. And whatever transaction fees happen there are really a function of the blockchain protocol itself, nothing else, essentially. If we take a step back and we say what really happened, it was a transfer of an asset. The asset was called Bitcoin. Couldn't we do that with any asset? Right? And I pose that question to you guys. Can we do that with property, a house? Is that a potential application of blockchain technology? Think of all the middlemen that are involved in a transaction that's called a sale of a house. What does that do to them? I think the better question to ask, and, I'll, and then I'll turn it over to Sam, is why, why, do, why are the middlemen there? 
in the first place? And the answer is traditionally because we need them to verify something about what one person has and whether that's okay to give to somebody else. Like your example of the house is, is perfect. So I have title insurance. I'm saying that I own this house, but we can't be sure because something may have happened back in 1794 that changed the, the title, right? But we have insurance against it. But the blockchain at, at its core sort of eliminates that issue because you can tell with mathematical certainty that Alice does in fact have one Bitcoin to send to Bob. And so that's where you that's where you or cut out one house cut out middle to man. send to Bob. Or one house, exactly. One yeah. one asset that provably belongs to you. What the blockchain did was solve the double spend problem at its core, right? That was the that was the big issue that couldn't be solved without an intermediary. Bitcoin was the first implementation to do it in practice, but that has tremendous applications for anything from land title to uh, advertising data to what have you. Great. Well, we're gonna we're gonna hop back on this topic. It's fascinating. In a couple of minutes after we take a break, this is Eight uh, Base Radio. We'll be back in a few. Albert and the 8Base team return in moments with more 8Base Radio here on 880 AM, The Biz. Hey, everybody. Ed Martinez from Front and Center on 880 The Biz. I love bringing 15 years of experience, passion, and knowledge of the law to you, my listeners. Now I'm doing even more for you. I can bring all that to you personally. If you've got any legal matters, criminal or civil, call me at the Martinez Law Center, 786-567-8757. That's 786-567-8757. Now you can benefit from my personalized attention and results-driven passion and justice. 786-567-8757. The initial consultation is free. If you're looking for a new car without the new car price, head to Durrell Lincoln and check out their inventory of certified pre-owned Lincolns. Here's GM Miguel Otero. Here at Durrell Lincoln, we have a reconditioning center where I have some of the best certified mechanics that go above and beyond to make sure that we're putting out the best quality vehicle to make sure that you drive away with the confidence of a six-year, 100,000-mile comprehensive warranty coverage. Pick out your certified pre-owned Lincoln today at Durrell Lincoln. Discover the Durrell Lincoln difference. If your business needs money and needs it fast, up to $250,000, One Capital Funding can help. For any credit score above 500, we have a 90% loan approval rate. And you can have the money within seven days. It's simple and fast. There is never an upfront cost or collateral required. All it takes is a three-minute phone call. Call 786-290-4689 or visit us at OneCapitalFunding.com. That's OneCapitalFunding.com. Or call us 786-290-4689. I know four six eight nine one capital funding rocket fuel for your business. Hello, everyone. This is Judge Anna Pando, retired county court judge, political and community activist for practically a lifetime. Tune in to my new show, And Justice for All, every Tuesday at 6 p.m. Power-packed, fun, and informative discussion of issues that affect your everyday life. For all your legal needs, accidents, slip and falls, criminal matters, and any other legal needs you may have, call me. I will fight and help you in the same courts where I imparted justice for all. Remember, call Judge Pando at 833-X-JUDGE, 833-395-833. Here's a question. What is the best place for cigars of the entire Southeast? Answer, Cuban Crafters here in the heart of Little Havana. The largest cigar choices you can imagine. Hundreds of the top labels in the world. Hand-rolled on location from H. Upman to Rocky Patel to the great Miami brand. That's a Cuban Crafters original. Have Al Gutman, George, and the team treat you to the finest cigars and a free Cuban coffee. Cuban Crafters, 3604 Northwest 7th Street. 3604 Northwest 7th Street. You can also call them 305-573-0222 or go to their great website, cubancrafters.com. Cuban Crafters, the Radio home of front and center. Now back to Albert Santalo and the eight base team here on 880 AM, the biz. 
So we're back on 8Base Radio, here with Sam Abbasi and Matt Cohen, fascinated with this topic of blockchain. And uh, we just, when we, we cut out for the, for the bottom half of the hour, we were talking about land titles on the blockchain. And we were talking about digital transformation. And let's, let's, let's stop for a moment and talk about digital transformation before we get back into the conversation. So imagine that you are a title insurance company and blockchain is being implemented in the world. And the risk of title issues goes way, way down because now land titles are on the blockchain. They're in an immutable form. The double spend problem has been taken care of and people can readily exchange land without much risk. What does that do to your business? And so I don't know the answer to that just yet, but I I tend to think it does impact your business if you're a title insurance company. Uh, And it probably impacts you if you're anywhere along the supply chain of dealing with the title of today's world. So this is what digital transformation is all about. Digital disruption comes at you. It comes at you not only because you have competitors that are better enabled from a technological perspective, but it's because business models are being completely changed. And blockchain certainly stands to disrupt a whole host of different industries. And so why don't we talk a little bit more about that, and then I'd like to talk a little bit about how should leaders in big companies, small companies, be thinking about these problems? Yeah, just just, just off the uh, land title. I mean, it, I, I think land titles on the blockchain is probably one of the most um, just interesting applications that we can see right now in the short term. Um, it also introduces the idea of like borderless custody um, and what you were saying in terms of business disruption, um, the idea that you know the centralized business model may be on the way out in the future too, which is weird for us to kind of wrap our heads around because businesses are centralized uh, entities and that's how they operate. And it's weird to think that they could possibly operate efficiently without being centralized. Um, so I think it introduces all those topics. But one thing I wanted to hit on with land titles was the idea of uh, custody also. We were talking about um, you know, sending anything of asset from one person to another. Um, what, what Bitcoin really introduced um, was the idea now that you kind of are your own bank. Um, and that's not even really uh, me saying that. It's kind of uh, empirical evidence. So people that are known to hold crypto um, uh, have, have actually been physically attacked. Right? It's called, what is it, the $5 baseball attack or something? They, they, they basically physically attack them and try and get the uh, private key because you, can have, you, you are the custodian of your assets. Typically, you'd have it in a bank. Now, you know, translate that to digital identity um, through to uh, any other asset you may have that you can represent now through a blockchain. That, I think, is incredibly powerful. Um, so businesses, I think, need to kind of uh, keep abreast of this new technology because it's going to hit them in some way. Um, maybe not in the next you know, 12 months, but definitely in the next five years, I'd say. Yeah. No, it's, uh, it's such, a, such a big change in the way everything's done. Yeah. You bring up a great point. And so in terms of, you know, how does, how does a CEO of a large company think about blockchain? Um, how should they think about it? They well, should definitely see, first of all, how it affects their business now um, and if it does. Um, so, you know, we, we have a lot of people come to us and, and try and consult with us on, on whether they should make a blockchain. And, and sometimes it doesn't make sense right now. Uh, but depending on the use case and depending on their industry, it may be the right thing to do. So um, I, I kind of say this all the time. There, there is no such thing, and you can probably attest to this also, uh, there's no such thing as a tech company. Kind of every company is really a tech yeah, company. Absolutely. Um, so everyone really is, 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 is actually affected, I think. Yeah, but it, uh, you know, I think it's, it's, the problems are sort of the same, aren't they? Big company, small company, um, they can all be disrupted. You know, we, we see 
I mean, we see huge companies being disrupted these days by the likes of Amazon, right? Anytime Amazon's swimming in the waters, you know, CEOs are running for their lives. And so, you know, the question would be, how do you, how do you get in front of this? I mean, you got to really understand the implications and the opportunities that you have, because it's also opportunities, isn't mm -hmm. it? Yeah. So the, <clears throat> the tricky thing about blockchain, too, is that sometimes, at least at this stage, it can be difficult to conceive of how it would impact your business or your business model. And so maybe Sam can share a little bit more about some of the things he's worked on, but I think what would perhaps be most interesting to any CEOs that are listening right now is the disruption that comes for you uh, because of blockchain is not going to be payments related. I think we already see where that's going, and we all already have a good idea of how blockchain is going to affect op open programmable money, where blockchain, the technology, may disrupt your business is likely going to be elsewhere, which is how you interact with your customers, what asset belongs to you versus belongs elsewhere. And to the extent you have any type of network whatsoever, if, you're, if your business relies on network effects, whether that's because you have a strong brand or you've got you know, a two-sided marketplace or you've got just some way where, where your customers are more than just people who walk into a store and buy things, but they're also pseudo-stakeholders in what you're trying to do, then I think, you're, I think the disruption is going to come at you from very non-obvious ways. And, uh, and that can be difficult to see coming and to address adequately. And so, so Sam, I would be curious, you know, we all, I know I, I'm very familiar with what you've done on some, some of the, like the, the currency side of things, you know, uh, bringing some confidentiality to the Bitcoin, this is the security of bringing confidentiality to something that looks sort of like Bitcoin from a security perspective. But what are you seeing in terms of, using the underlying idea of blockchain technology to disrupt the way things are currently done today in a non-financial context? Yeah, I mean, I think the most applicable thing so far in the short term and something we're working on currently is um, auditing compliance, like I said earlier. I mean, um, just having to, to, I mean, when you, when you bring an auditor in, um, you do that because the auditor has to validate and verify everything you've done through some kind of record or some sort of ledger. But if you have a record already, that you can, you know, you can at least trust the ledger, um, and that is immutable, and no one can actually change it, and have, that has provenance and different checkpoints. Um, then that's kind of a game changer in that sense. So um, the most immediate thing really is audit and compliance, and that's kind of what we're working on um, now. That's not payments related. No. So tell tell us about Bushido, your company. What you know, how you guys are organized. What do you guys do? Yeah. So we started. Uh, our anniversary was actually uh, a year. Uh, I think last week. Congrats. Thank you. Um, so we started with two of us and now we're, and now we're I think seven, uh, seven and we're all full-time engineers, including myself. Um, so we started out at the lab Miami, um, three of us, no, four of us are wing code graduates, a few iron hat graduates. Um, so, you know, we're kind of keeping the Miami flavor alive. Everyone's a start, started out as a full stack developer in some sense. Um, but yeah, we've, we, we've kind of become, I guess, local industry leaders in, 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 in how we can make customized blockchain applications for different businesses. Um, so we do blockchain consulting. Uh, we build out the actual low-level protocol and infrastructure for blockchains, and we also do you know things on top of Ethereum like just standard token issuance or token development, um, or just decentralized applications. Um, so we're kind of I mean I called it a, a a lab for a reason. We're kind of a bunch of crazy people in one room trying to figure <laughs> out the space and, and figure out what crazy things we can actually I can actually do. And who are you, who are your customers typically? Our customers are are kind of all over the place. Um, they come from enterprise, they come from startup, um, some are nonprofit. Um, so there isn't really one singular source. And, and that kind of does speak to the industry because 
there isn't really one kind of uh, niche that's, that's coming to us. It's, it's, everyone's trying to figure out what they can do with blockchain right now. Yeah, no, this is definitely true. And what's uh, anything, any projects that you care to talk about that you've either completed or are working on that might be of interest? Yeah, the most complicated thing that we've done to date um, was a fork. And a, and, a, and a fork basically is copying a code base. So when you fork a protocol, you're simply copying the code base and you have a history of its repositories. Um, but we forked Bitcoin and another coin, and it was called a merge fork. So we took two separate blockchains and made one out of it. Um, the interesting thing with that was we implemented what are called zero knowledge proofs. Um, so there's a misconception that Bitcoin is anonymous, but really it's pseudonymous. Um, you can actually track an address on the Bitcoin blockchain and s- pretty much see everything it's done, who it sent money to, uh, how much money there is in its balance, uh, etc. Um, so with zero knowledge proofs, um, it, it, basically it's the idea that if you and I were if you and I were sending money to each other, you would have a one time sending address, I would have a one time recipient address, and the amount would be encrypted, so you couldn't see anything. There's there's zero knowledge. Um, on a grander scale, you're actually proving um, that you are an owner of something without actually showing what you're an owner of in a way, which, which is interesting for, you know, things like identity. Like when you sign up for a website and they want to make sure you're over 21, you have to give them your birth date. But what if there's a way to prove that you were over 21 without giving them your actual birthday? Do they really need your birthday? Um, another interesting thing we did with that same project, it was called anonymous Bitcoin, uh, were masternodes. So masternodes introduces this idea of passive income, almost like, um, almost like property. Like you park a collateral amount onto a node, onto a server that's a fully validating a server on the network, um, and you get a cut of every block that's added to the network. Um, so you are participating in the validation process, making it more decentralized, while also being directly economically incentivized as well. Um, so so that, that's my favorite project, and, and also the hardest one. The Masternode one. project. The anonymous Bitcoin project, and we're maintaining gotcha. that now. So we've, you know, we've worked with miners. We, we basically propped up a whole network and bootstrapped it. And, and seeing the complexities and the limitations of doing that as well. Interesting. So it's it's a combination of basically coding, mm-hmm. right? A combination of rolling out a, a group of people that want to mine yeah. and putting up a hardware software infrastructure to run these things and finding liquidity too which i yeah. um, which i you know I'm, I'm i'm more on the tech side i'm becoming more business so i really <laughs> undervalue that side but finding people uh or just finding liquidity in the market is massive as well interesting very very interesting matt anything you want to add to that you're an expert in, in some of these things <laughs> <laughs> yeah well i would say that the, i think the probably the coolest thing that maybe the sheer magnitude of what you've done you make it sound easy, but it but it's really not because if you think about it, zero knowledge proofs is a technology based off zk snarks, which is experimental in and of itself. And there's only we were just talking during the break. There's very few people that truly grasp the inner in, under inner workings of it. Then you've taken this concept of master nodes, which it's important to note that in Bitcoin, if you run a node, you're not compensated for that. You're, you're sort of doing it out of the for the good of the network, and it is it, it can get expensive. Like it's computationally in intensive from a storage perspective so you've introduced sort of like another layer of incentivization and governance there that potentially could become uh mainstream right we, we don't know for sure but but there's a lot of people who put a lot of time into thinking that if you're going to truly bootstrap one of these networks and it's going to continue to operate into perpetuity you need to incentivize these people to keep doing these things on behalf of the network and bitcoin does not address that but uh, it sounds like your implementation of a very similar concept may go may make some strides towards doing so. 
and 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 it's not perfect either. And this introduces kind of how nascent this is, where um, you know the, the, this is now the economic side of the whole industry, where we have to figure out okay, what is an acceptable collateral amount? Uh, frankly, this magic money that we just made. Um, what are people willing to stake? And what's a happy medium, right? Like like where is your economies of scale? If you have too many people on the network that are being paid out, then competition, for instance, to get paid out increases and your ROI is minimal. So people won't be part of the network. Um, so, so, so this is where we really get creative and try and figure out like how to, how to actually incentivize people properly while making sure the infrastructure works on the technical side. Yeah. It's, it's a fascinating topic. Not, not easy to follow yeah. unless you're in it, you're living it. Yeah. But at the same time, I mean, you know, uh, I, I recently learned what a, um, a, a REIT was, a real estate investment trust. Sure. Right? Um, and the same thing with the masternodes. If you have a bunch of different masternode networks, then you effectively have what I coined was a MEIT, right? A masternode uh, or just a, a MIT, like a, a masternode investment trust. You have a pool of masternodes sure. almost like ETFs. Um, so that I thought was was cool too. So yeah, we get really creative. Is, is kind of the point. Yeah, and even across, you know, so you would go across masternode technologies even if you were essentially investing in this space. You can have a basket of goods, and those basket of goods are masternodes. Yeah. In, in this example. Yeah. Interesting. So big, big, you know, socioeconomic implications in all of this, right? Yeah. yeah. So you talked about companies. You know, we currently think of companies as these centralized beings. Uh, decentralization of companies. Do you think this is an end-all, be-all? Um, do you think this is a, a hybrid? You know, some companies, some industries become more decentralized. Do you? What do you? What do you think about the current centralized giants letting go of control? I think. I think um, trying to, I guess, predict how our current structure is going to be affected by this with our limited knowledge right now is a little bit short-sighted because I. It's it's really hard to predict, right? It's. It's like um, I was talking to an investor who had an opportunity to invest in Uber early on, and he said, you know, he's an idiot for not doing so. But at the same time, if I had that opportunity, the idea that people would get into random people's cars would, it sure. would not have clicked with me. Um, so, yeah, and, and that does introduce the idea of trust too, right? Like when you get into someone's car, you're trusting that Uber has vetted that person. Right. They're probably not going to kill you, and they're going to get you from point A to point B. Um, but that, I think, is novel. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't know entirely how it's going to affect the centralized model, but I know it will. So, so you know, one could say Uber is somewhat decentralized sure. in its delivery, right? It's centralized in its corporate organization. Mm-hmm. And there, as you, you know, very rightly so said, trust and having recourse is incredibly important. But it would seem to me that blockchain technology, right, because Uber also takes a significant cut of everything just like Airbnb does. So it seemed to me that blockchain technology in a fully decentralized model where the rewards are really accruing to the different stakeholders rather than the network itself would be pretty powerful, right? So do you think that, do you think human beings can buy into that without that centralized body of trust? Yeah, Matt. Because well, so I, I mean, clearly, clearly some people will, right? But it's, this is about the, the market. Like, will the market get over the fact that there's nobody to sue? So I think that we may be conflating two concepts here in the sense that what you're talking about as far as a decentralizing governance of a corporation, that's we, we talk about that in the blockchain space as a DAO, a DAO, a distributed autonomous organization. That's one thing. But just imagine for a second, blockchain or not, 
like that's just a difficult thing to do from, from because of the human element because humans are just can't really uh, organize and they, at least up to this point have not really organized well enough to be able to run an operation of the size of Uber at scale in a decentralized manner. Just it's not been done. However, you brought up the example of TCP/IP before. TCP/IP is is sort of a network. It's not owned by a company. Decisions are made on its on on certain aspects of it by a group of maintainers, or people who who created it. But it's not necessarily something that's going out every day, conducting marketing campaigns, hiring and firing employees, that sort of thing. So my belief is that blockchain, in the sense of how it decentralizes things, it will first start with networks in the sense that we'll probably find that we can monetize network and networks and network effects in a decentralized manner before we figure out whether we can decentralize corporate corporate governments and corporate structures and just – to put it at, at timescales and put my lawyer hat on, like it's taken us hundreds of years to get equity right, like how mm-hmm. we handle equity in a in a society, like ownership in a business. So it's going to take us some time to figure out how how that would work differently in blockchain. I'm not entirely convinced that it will, but companies aside, I do think that there are advantages to blockchain for monetizing and bootstrapping network effects that weren't there before. And I think that is probably a better place to look for for immediate disruption as opposed to, you know, insurance you know the shareholders elect the board and the board elects the officers they're you know the, and the officers of the company do the day-to-day and i think we're a long way away away from eliminating two of those steps and having the shareholders make the day-to-day decisions yeah and, and on and on kind of a let's just kind of piece all that together with like on a network scale combined with let's just use uber as an example um, if you do have a network that is bootstrapped that is properly um, doing what's supposed to do uh with a you know monetary value um Let's say your car is driverless, which isn't too far away from now. Um, your car gets in an accident, or the Uber that the, the vessel you're in that's running through Uber uh, gets in an accident. There's a collateral amount that it has to cover that accident. So the minute it gets hit, it compensates you directly for whatever amount. We're, t- we're keeping the legal stuff out of it for a second, um, but 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 those are kind of, that's kind of the powerful part of it. Um, right. and, and it's important to note that people talk about smart con- and that would be a smart contract. Yes, exactly. They, I was going to say that yeah. smart contract. Right. It's part of the blockchain technology. Right. But right. so, Sam, you made a good point. And if I can bring it full circle real quick, imagine for a second where I was trying to go with this is Uber is two things. It's a company, which is a centralized structure with shareholders and officers and employees. And there's also a network component of the, the drivers who are not employees, right, as far as we know, um, and the people who take those cars. So theoretically, one could envision a scenario where blockchain disrupts Uber not by giving its shareholders a vote on the day-to-day operation of the company, but does disrupt it because we've managed to change the way that stakeholders in that network interact with one another or with the company. Right. I mean, in this case, it would be empowering the drivers. That's from what I understand. But yeah. 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 But, you know, these are extreme examples, right? For sure. I'm Long sure. And would, is it safe to say that in place, different places in the world, these things could grow up differently? Like, for instance, we take the example of the telecommunications infrastructure in Africa, which literally skipped a generation, uh, had, didn't have to lay out all the terrestrial sort of fiber infrastructure, went directly to wireless. It's safe to say that converting land titles in the United States to blockchain uh, is significantly harder and will take longer than in some new country. Right? And there's less of a need for it. In, in many countries, you can't rely on any source of truth for a land title record. Here, I mean, the county recorder's office is pretty good. Yeah. It's not, not infallible, but it's pretty good. Exactly. And, but it would be the amount of coordination it would take to get every county recorder's office in every state in the country on board with a blockchain solution would be 
you know, it would take prob- decades. Probably impossible, but maybe yeah. maybe it could happen in time. But for a country that doesn't have that infrastructure in place, just like Africa didn't have terrestrial uh, telecommunications componentry, that that would be a, a perfect example. And, it's, and and people like Factum are trying to do just that, right? Right. And for for those places that don't have that infrastructure and can't avail themselves of those benefits, how they can come in and and actually provide some first world order to things using a 23rd century technology <laughs> no and that and that and that goes into you know I, I keep saying this is my favorite topic i have a million favorite topics here uh but is banking the unbanked i mean you know the, the majority of the world doesn't have a bank account um and and back to the scarcity part for a second because we're talking about you know africa in this case um we don't understand the need for something scarce like bitcoin because frankly americans haven't seen hyperinflation they haven't seen criminal um, hyperinflation, uh, but people in Venezuela, people in Iran, people in Zimbabwe—they've they've seen that. So, giving people an access to, a, or, or at least a, a entry point to a protocol like that that benefits them in all these different ways, including being custodians of their own assets, whatever that may be, is is kind of insane. Yeah. Well, good. Well, it's it's exciting. It's exciting what what can happen with blockchain. What do you think's needed to accelerate the rollout of it? Uh, more developers. More developers, you yeah, think so? Kind of sound like Stephen Bomber, um, but yeah. but 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 the world needs more developers, right? The I mean, there's needs- a shortage of millions of developers, and the type of people that work on blockchain are people with significant IQ points, uh, right? So, other than more people that don't exist, how do you how do you think how do you think blockchain adoption can be accelerated? My immediate answer is friendly regulation, but I'm always concerned about government intervention. So, I mean. <laughs> It's a tricky one. So I can't disagree with you. Friendly regulation or, or a lack of regulation is typically good for the flourishing of, of a new technology. But I would say I would say two things. You need one, we have a major UX problem, mm-hmm. and that's going to be solved by not by the, the back-end super smart engineers, but by people who can put themselves in the shoes of customers and design things. And that Matt, work. what is UX? That's the user experience. Okay. Um, and then the second is some technology to make these really difficult things more accessible. Because as you pointed out, there's a limited number of Sam Abbasis and Bushido labs in the world and a, a probably right. an even more limited number of people that can afford you sometimes, right? <laughs> so what would be helpful is to have some solution out there that abstracts away the complexity. Maybe you could talk a bit more about some of those you're familiar with, Albert, that uh, enable people to access things that they traditionally couldn't access before. Well, for the Internet, it was the Mosaic browser, which became Netscape. And we envision technologies that, that will do the same thing for blockchain. So we could talk for hours here, guys, but uh, this has been a really interesting conversation. Clearly, Sam and Bushido Labs is available to, to help companies of any size think through blockchain, um, whether those be startups or established companies. And uh, me personally, my advice to everybody would be don't disregard this technology. It's coming. And uh, CEOs these days need to look around corners to be able to ensure their survival. And so this is one of these areas that they need to look at. I want, I want to thank you both. Sam, Matt, thanks so much. Thanks, Appreciate you joining us for 8Base Radio, hosted by 8Base founder and CEO Albert Santalo. Join us every Monday in prime time at 5 p.m for a powerful, interactive hour featuring top business leaders, technology trends, and upcoming impacting events in the business world, bringing together the brightest minds in business and tech. This has been 8Base Radio. See you next Monday at 5 p.m. Good night. Stay in touch with us through your smartphone. Get your tune in iHeart or 880 The Biz apps. 
Have you tried investing in the stock market and haven't done very well? Come into Online Trading Academy. Have your investments lost money and your 